Welcome to B2B Sales Trends, the podcast dedicated to sales leaders in the B2B space, where we share conversations about innovative and successful sales transformations to keep you up to date on the latest trends. This podcast is brought to you by Global Performance Group. Welcome yet to another fabulous episode of the B2B Sales Trends podcast, my dear people. The show that brings you hacks, tips, thought leadership for sales and customer success. It's brought to you by Global Performance Group. And uh, who are we? We are a revenue improvement boutique that implements behavior change to provide salespeople and customer success, the competence of the skills, the confidence to execute those effectively, and the courage to sell and retain and negotiate based on client outcomes. My name is Harry Kendelbacher, and today I have with me Philip called uh, Phil Shortly, act in the country manager of the UK for a company called Adform. Welcome to the B2B Sales Trends podcast, Phil. Thanks, Harry. Uh, hello, everyone, and delighted to be here. Uh, thank you for making time for it. Let's dive right into it, uh, Phil. You know, Adform was recognized uh, recently by Gardner as a leader in the magic quadrant for ad tech. Can you tell us more about Adform and its unique value prop and how it differentiates itself from the competitive marketplace that you're in? That would be great. Sure. Yeah, delighted to. So uh, for those that don't know what ad tech is, it it's, uh, stands for advertising technology. So we're essentially a technology partner to brands and agencies that really want to plan and, and measure and optimize advertising campaigns online. And that takes um, a varying degree of different formats, but things like banner ads, video ads, even now uh, with connected TV, even some of the TV ads that you see. Um, we have been consistently recognized as a leader by Gartner in the past four years or so. And I think that there's actually, there's a number of things that stand out for me. Um, number one, I would say most of the other companies that are in the leader quadrant tend to be US-centric tech companies. Mm -hmm. And now as a European first company, we have, we have 21 years experience. We have our HQ in Copenhagen. We have, uh, I think it's 17 or 18 offices in Europe alone with, with more outside of, of Europe. So we really know, um, you know, what works what works in the US might not necessarily work over here. And so we focus on local market knowledge and support. I think that's the, the number one element. Uh, and then I think there's a few more. So if we look at, for instance, uh, the death of the cookie, which is very big in our industry, uh, this is that Google Chrome is also going to go away from using cookies in, in line with other browsers like, like, like Firefox or Safari. Um, there's much more stringent policies around what people can do here. It's much more fragmented and there's much more partners that you have to partner with. So our uh, a solution, which is called ID Fusion, really tries to make sense of that. And, you know, the, the awards that we've won over the past few years have, have shown that to be the case. Then I think there's perhaps three more key benefits. One, one is that we are, as an ad tech vendor, we are an end-to-end -end stack. We have certain products that all work together to combine one solution, and that works both across the buy and sell side. And that allows for better transparency between an advertiser's spend and how much of that spend goes to actually to a publisher's website. It allows for better performance, and it allows for, I think, better collaboration between the teams because many of the brands we work with will use uh, what use just uses as one platform as opposed to having to use multiple vendors. So I think they're the, the kind of the key 
challenges. And then I think the other thing really, and I suppose it does relate into sales, is service. So again, when we compared to big US tech and when Gartner has called us out consistently, it's that we've been called out for great service. So just because we are a tech vendor doesn't mean we just provide tech. It means we provide service and support and, and try to sit down strategically with our clients and see where we can add value. So I think I think they're the, they're the USPs for me. The service element is is a really key thing in, in your industry and a lot of companies are lacking that. So that's really good that you uh, you focus on that. Uh, that's great. Um, Phil, you, you have a pretty impressive 20-plus-ish uh, years of experience in, in the tech space and in the sales industry with, you know, a large portion of that time in the advertising and marketing uh, space. Could you share some of your key insights or trends that you're seeing that you know you've observed in the B2B sales landscape over the years? Yeah, um, yeah. Thanks for reminding me. Um, I actually <laughs> i worked I worked it out this morning, and it was it was I, I started out in sales when I was 22 years old, which was in 1996. So it's actually 28 years ago, I think, next year. Wow. Uh, quite a frightening thought. And then I moved into online in 2003, so 20 years in online this year. Um, I think I'm actually going to start with my, my offline uh, story first because, because I did eight years at a large American company, but it wasn't a big American tech company. It was a big American chemical company. And this was my first sales job. I covered sales and account management. I had very little training. I had a very good mentor, a, a chap called Peter Healy, who I still uh, talk about to this day. He was the best salesman in the company, and he took me under his wing mm. um, and, and really showed me how to be a very, very good salesman without any sort of formal training. Um, and, and I and I think one of the things that Peter did really well was, again, going back to the service, he spent, he spent a lot of time with his clients. He would be there whenever they needed him. Uh, whenever they they called him, he would he would uh, you know drop what he was doing and go in. And so he built up a level of trust. He knew their business, he knew them personally, and, and what was important to them. And so when he had these existing accounts and he grew these existing accounts, I guess using upsell techniques, it was it was always based on on a level of trust. Um, but he always made sure that that he and therefore the company won. So I think when I think mm -hmm. of some of the habits that I've won throughout the years, it's that, you know, think win-win. You can you can provide a solution to a customer's needs, but you can still do it with something that adds value to you and to your business as well. And I think that that has, has always kind of stuck with me. Um, I think we did eventually get a, around to some sales training in about four years of my eight years. And I can remember it, very old-fashioned sales, sales training techniques. But there were some things that I think still resonate. And that was... Uh, again, um, uh, we, at the time I remember we talked about needs and wants and the fact that wants are more powerful than needs, which I know is something would resonate with you, Harry. Uh, so that was from, you know, 20 years ago. And yet, and also we talked about different personas, understanding that the way that you would perhaps approach a sell to this person would be very different to this person, whether it was a different job uh, title or something within the company or whether it was just a different personality, which I think was really important. So... As we've moved through my online career, so I've I've worked for small startups, I've worked for agencies, I've worked for big US tech, and most recently uh, Adobe. And I think the big difference there, Adobe provided lots of sales training, and and it showed. I mean, it showed in the deal size, it showed um, 
that the deals, you know, they, they were much larger than the startup deals we did, more complex, uh, multi-solution based deals. Whereas I think with the startup, um, it was kind of almost boilerplate, you know, three or four questions, stock presentation, ask for the order, move on to the next deal. So, you know, I, but I think when I started out in online in 2003, I think also the audience just wasn't as informed as they are now. So right. we, we were, you know, to sell online marketing, essentially we're selling ROI. We're saying we'll take your marketing budget and we can, we'll optimize it to use uh, to, to, to go further, which was great because the people that we were talking to then didn't necessarily know how to do this. Mm. And I think now the clients are much more informed. So you have to work much harder and you have to work much smarter and you have to do your homework to uncover the challenges that, that they have. But, but thankfully, we're still focused on selling ROI, which is a, which is a great situation to be in. Yeah, that's really interesting. There's a lot of uh, stats out there from different sources and different researchers that um, buyers are better informed than ever. And, uh, you know, a large percent, and don't quote me on this, what is it, 60, 70 percent, a couple of different research bodies uh, have started uh, stated that the buying decision has been already made before they even engage a salesperson. So if salespeople and you couple that with customers or prospects being better informed than ever, if a salesperson crops up and asks the same old rubbish questions everybody else is asking, you know, you're not providing any value to that and uh, yeah. you can't really differentiate yourself. So I really believe it's it's not a case of finding out needs anymore. It is about how do we really generate new needs in the mind of the prospects, needs that yeah. they haven't researched before, needs that they haven't appreciated that makes a difference to their business. I think that's where the fine line of average salespeople to great salespeople are. And I think yeah. you really highlighted that nicely. And, and just, just to just to add to that, I think one one element that you you know you said to kind of that if if the if the buyers have um, you know already made their decision before a salesperson walks through the door, then you need to ensure that the company that you work for is in is in the is is front and center in the mind of someone where they're where they're uh, thinking about that, and I think that's a big difference that has changed since mm -hmm. I, I started out in two thousand and three. You know, um, what can you do to add value in terms of is it a white paper that you can uh, re release? Is it case studies? Um, is it events that either you hold that may tap into uh, that person's challenges, or, or as you say, uncover challenges they would didn't know existed or is it events that you can just attend where you know those people are going to to be there i think building that brand so that when they're in that situation of starting to look at vendors because we have so many so much competition in the marketplace i mean our largest competitor is google who have their own tech stack so that talk about david versus goliath we have to be the noisy dog in the room so that we're in that conversation as early as possible right very interesting stuff um uh, when you think about your role as as the country manager for 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 Adform, you know obviously you need to build sales strategy, deliver revenue objectives, and so forth to the company. Can you can you share some of your insights, strategies, thoughts on achieving these objectives? Because uh, it's a tough market out there. How yeah. how, how do you do that? Yeah, I, I'll I'll talk about the strategy. I mean, you know, I think um, before the strategy, there's there's certain principles and so on in which you need to do to get the the buy-in from the team, and perhaps we can talk mm -hmm. about that at a later stage. But in terms of the actual strategies, 
you know, we um, around about this time uh, of, of a year, we, we're sitting down as a business and we're looking at next year and planning. So um, every year, you know, I will sit down with my leaders. I will have an outline from the board on what they expect the UK to deliver. And then I will then sit down with my kind of the leaders of my team. So my heads of customer success, mm. my sales directors, um, any global account teams that are run from here. And I'll try to distill the company strategy in what role the UK has to play within that. We are one of about 28 markets, I think, that we have office presence. So I think this in turn gives them the buy-in uh, that I trust them and I value their feedback. And I think that's really important when you're looking to set a, a strategy. Uh, mm-hmm. So we try and then break down the overall company strategy into, into, into I guess, bite-sized chunks. So, uh, you know, we, if we, we have a revenue target for next year. So what part of that is going to come from existing business? What part is going to come from new business? Then we can sit down with the new business leader and say, who are we focused on? Um, looking at next year is it brands is it agencies is it publishers because we sell into all of those uh, right. how do we approach different verticals you know do we have clients in those verticals that we can get references from or case studies or, or you know kind of information that we can drop into the um, to the conversations the, the nuggets of values of you as you call them do we attend events that are uh, that we can speak at that are vertical specific or retail specific and so on and does our sales outreach then tap into all of those various points. So we use sales outreach to try and help, um, you know, open some doors. And then the, the, the enterprise sales team would go in and, and run that sales cycle. But to do so, we need to have some cadence around how often we try and approach someone, what kind of story we try and tell to them. And it isn't just about sending blanket cold emails out, but it's also trying to, as I say, meet these people at events and so on. And that's the kind of new business approach. And then the existing uh, client approach slightly different because of course we know our customers but then we'll we'll look at our top clients we'll see is there potential for them to grow still are there clients that we have that look small on paper but actually we know they have a a huge opportunity to to grow with us so if we spend more time working with them how can we do that and that then ties into our account plan strategies um, which each of the account directors gives us to say this is my book of business and here Mm. are the I'm going to focus on next year and this is the stories that I'm going to try and uh, tell to uncover certain challenges and then we know that we have some solutions that we can sell in based on that so there's a there's a degree of planning there's a degree of bringing the the team along with you on on that journey uh, ensuring that we plan properly and then and then entrusting them to go out and perform and yes of course have regular check-ins but don't don't I, I never want to micromanage I, I want them to know that we're here to support them but that we trust them to go out there and uh, and do the best that they can you know there's a number of stats out on the uh, on the idea of that 80 percent of your business or revenue should be coming from existing companies uh existing client relationships um uh-huh. and only 20 percent of of new companies because it's obviously quite a client acquisition cost and and it's easier to to sell into existing uh, relationships and upsell and cross sell uh and i know cultivating and developing you know, existing client relationships and building these partnerships with different brands and media and and creative agency is is one of your focuses. Can you share a few specific ways that you use to sort of nurture these relationships and and how these strategies could be relevant to, to our audience who's listening, sales and sales leadership? 
Yeah, so I think, um, you know, maybe I mentioned this before, but we're lucky to add add form that um, that if we we like, we can sell products. We have four key ones within our overall stack, um, or we can tell a better story, which is that we have an integrated advertising platform and, and therefore... Uh, it's more of a solution and there's there's benefits that, that this brings because we're then not going in and competing against point products that are just selling features. Right. We're going in and we're selling an end-to-end solution that can meet, meet your needs. And quite often the clients that we have, if we say we have four key parts of it, I would say on average, probably the average is probably about two and a half that we have right. clients in terms of product adoption. So they are bought into... If we have this bit and this bit together, that one plus one equals three, there's a, there's a benefit of right. doing so. So that's a great place to start because then we're not talking about products; we're talking about you know solutions and uncovering those uh, those challenges. Um, and I think that uh, w- there are some real challenges in our industry that affect customers. Um, there's there's things like the death of the cookie, which is going to make it harder for advertising to to perform. There's a, a, a lack of transparency in our industry possibly by having multiple vendors between the advertiser and the website the advertiser wants to uh, to be on where we see lots of kind of uh, hidden fees and so on so that's a challenge there's there's more and more channels if you think about how you interact with the internet there's more channels that you use now there's more screens mm-hmm. there's you know, all these digital on home screens you see when you're walking around and a client our clients are essentially a client that usual client that we speak to is someone that has a sales target. So they're quite commercial themselves. Mm. And I always say, you know, they're probably sat there right now thinking, what am I going to do next year when the cookies go away? Or right. how do I, how do I reduce my vendors so that I have, you know, much more transparency or, you know, how do I get into digital out of home or digital audio? And, and they're, they're, they're looking for someone to help make sense of that for them. And so, mm. I think from that point of view, if we're out there and we're speaking to the right people within uh, the within the, the the brands or the agencies that we talk to, then you know when you say sort of trying to find out uncovered needs, there's a lot in there that they maybe didn't realise that they needed that we can help show them by saying, for instance, if you were to look at your supply path, mm. you realise that we can improve performance by you know, 20% just by removing multiple vendors and, and providing one vendor. And that's the kind of thing that they maybe didn't think about at first, but it's something that we can we can sit down with and, and help them uncover. Uh, you've mentioned the term now a couple of times. Explain to our audience what death of the cookie is. Yeah, of course. <laughs> of course. We're in an industry that likes to use acronyms and, uh, and similes and all sorts of metaphors. So, so a cookie is is a, is a is is basically a tag that sits on websites. It sits on uh, display ads. It sits on it sits in emails, and it's used um, to create a trail. So the trail was called a cookie trail. The idea was it's like going into the forest and leaving cr- cookie crumbs behind, so you know your way out. But um, advertisers would use these cookies to be able to determine that you know Harry decided that he wanted to go on holiday. He'd been to a travel website. He then. Right. Uh, you know, then a, a bit later, he saw an email, he opened it, he clicked on it, and then he then went and bought. And you can see that purchase journey by using cookies. Now, these cookies are known as third-party cookies because they don't belong to the website. They're, they're a piece of tech that someone else has put on. And um, uh, most of the large browsers, so, you know, Safari, if you use Apple, uh, you'll be familiar with Safari. Firefox uh, is another browser, and now Google Chrome, are saying that these are essentially not great for 
um, I guess, customer experience. They're maybe not data compliant and so on. Uh, so there's a big focus on whether, you know, GDPR now in Europe. Mm. And so they're removing them, uh, the ability for us to use them in advertising purposes from, from the start of next year. So as an industry, we're looking to try and find solutions. Uh, there are a number of different vendors out there which have come out with different types of solutions. And I think um, what, what we at Adform have decided to do is rather than bring another ID or, or type of solution to the market, we've just rebuilt our platform to be agnostic to whichever is the biggest in the market that you're in or, or mm -hmm. whichever it is that the customer or the agency works with. So it's about trying to find a solution next year to how we still run advertising in, in an effective way without in being too invasive on a consumer's privacy. Right. Thank you for clarifying that. Um, uh, that's helpful, especially the death of it. Um, uh, I must admit, I haven't heard before. So that, that's, uh, that's very interesting. Um, let's get back to the selling aspect of things. Uh, and we've collaborated in the past with, uh, with some of your teams and, and I'm super impressive about uh, the commitment of uh, your people, the willingness to to engage and to to change things. So I I, I think uh, you know congratulations on on that culture within Appform. Um, when we talk about selling, we always talk about outcomes versus products. What in your view does it take for salespeople to sell based on outcomes, specifically the skills and behaviors needed to drive those better? client outcomes what, what what what's your opinion on that yeah um i i think that there's a number of personal habits that a salesperson can mm. learn that um uh, or, or maybe, maybe there's some that are just within them i mean you know if i had to choose specific ones that were, were the, the salespeople that i've always worked with that were the best i would say um, I think the number one thing is is, a, is an attitude um, mm -hmm. approach is 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 a proactive approach rather than a reactive approach. So, um, the, the the industry that we work in, like a lot of industries, isn't a nine to five job. And what you put in this job, you you, you get out. Um, mm -hmm. And I think that um, what's the old Gary player saying? The harder I work, the luckier I get. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I think that by by having a, a hardworking attitude and a willingness to learn, um, that that is going to make somebody going to be much more susceptible and uh, to new techniques and new ideas and listening to feedback and so on and so forth. Because it's not always the case with someone who's been in the industry a long time. They, they mm -hmm. say, I've had sales training. I know right. I'm, I can't be taught, right? But the... The fact of the matter is that that's not true, and this, you you know you should always be learning and always be looking to hone your craft. So, I think I think hard work is really important, and an attitude is, is is crucial. I think you know being organized is really important. Breaking down your 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 um, I guess your tasks, your day and your week into um, you know how much time, how many meetings do I have this week? How much time am I going to spend prepping for meetings? I think this is one of the number one things that. Mm. that people people miss they don't they don't think about prepping for them mm. um how much outreach do i perhaps need to do how much information do i need to read about what's happening in the industry and use this mm. to share with clients and so on uh, and how much time do i spend you know almost like sharpening the saw so on per, on your own personal development on practicing and improving to make sure that you're um you know that, that you're getting better at this every day so i think I think it's hard. It's, it's an attitude, and it's being you know hard work and organising. But 
the two elements from training that I think people can focus on is, um, and it's perhaps two of the, the um, two of the hardest uh, ones that a salesperson can learn is number one is listening, because mm. most salespeople tend to be quite gregarious and want to, uh, you know, want to talk a lot more than their clients. Um, it's 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 a it's a real challenge to learn, but listening. Don't think of the question, um, what, uh, the next brilliant question that pops into your mind while you're listening to someone. Just actually let them finish and then pause and then think of the question. And that comes back to this next, the bit after listening is having the right questions, mm. getting into some detail, um, being willing to get into a bit of a, an uncomfortable situation perhaps, but to, to try and get the most out of a situation, but not, you know, not be afraid to kind of skirt around what you perhaps see as, as, as an issue or a challenge for that client and help them uncover it. Don't just ask four or five questions and think that I've ticked the box on that. I know about this, this client. So yeah, there was a lot, but I think it's, 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 I think it's a number one, it's an attitude approach because with the right attitude, you can achieve anything. And number two, it's about organizing your time and being willing to learn. So my last question was going to be, uh, if you can hire the perfect salesperson and at an elite level and you can give him or her three skills to say, these are the top three skills I want you to, skills and behaviors uh, that I want you to execute and, and, and know to perfection. Um, I guess you sort of answered that a little bit yeah. before. Um, summarize those for me as a final thought. Sure. I'll, I'll um, I'd say organized. Yeah. Uh, uh, personality yep. and hardworking. Fabulous. I love it. I love it. And uh, it's interesting in our, in our industry, people are always sort of trying to come up with the latest and the newest thing and, and how much is that going to change and how much is this going to change? And, and in the end of the day, it comes down to a few fundamental things. Um, I'm always very passionate about the fact that, you know, if you give salespeople 20 things to do, they will do one. If you give them five things to do, they will do four. So focus on a few really good ones that, that, that people are willing to execute to perfection. And it doesn't take 50,000 things and it doesn't take to reinvent the wheel here. So, um, Phil, you've been a fabulous guest. Thank you so much uh, for these brilliant insights for our audience. Uh, we really appreciate your time. I know our listeners have uh, taken a few uh, really cool things away from this. So thank you. Thanks, everyone, for tuning in to this episode. We're looking forward to hearing you again. Until the next episode, I'll leave you with the final thought. Engage with your clients uh, in the way that Phil has uh, uh, outlined here and happy selling to everybody. Look after yourselves until the next episode. Thank you.